Hello listeners, I'm Kathy Fang and you're listening to a special live event recording on Below the Radar. Below the Radar is a knowledge democracy podcast recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Please enjoy the special conversation between our teammate Paige Smith and Megaphone Magazine's Julia Aoki and Yvonne Mark as they discuss the creation of the Voices of the Street podcast, which was featured on Below the Radar the previous year. This is a recording from their presentation at SFU's Community Engaged Research Initiative's Academic Conference, Horizons, Crisis and Social Transformation in Community Engaged Research, which was recorded live and in person on May 28, 2022. Julia, Yvonne, and Paige discussed the goals of the podcasting project, the power of auditory community storytelling, and how podcasting can be an accessible form of knowledge sharing. I hope you enjoy the episode. everyone for joining us. Um, first off, the reason for this lovely apparatus uh, is that we're going to be talking about a podcast project we did. So this is hopefully going to be a special episode for our podcast. So it's a live recording. So thanks all for being here. I thought today I would just start off by giving a land acknowledgement. So we've talked about land acknowledgements probably throughout the whole conference, but I just wanted to say that uh, today we're all meeting on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, and that it's really important that we like think about that, and I think it's uh, something that was thought about a lot throughout this project. So yeah, we're going to talk about the project we did called the Voices of the Street podcast, and um, I'm going to introduce the project first, if that's okay, and then I'll tell you about us, if that makes sense. So uh, today I'm going to be doing the presentation with my lovely colleagues, Julia Aoki and Yvonne Mark. And that was, uh, we were all collaborators on this podcast project. And it was a collaboration between Megaphone, um, which both of these lovely folks are from, and then uh, SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement, which is where I'm from. So yeah, the podcast project was a six episode podcast series, which featured interviews from writers here in the downtown east side. And they were all writers with Megaphone magazine, uh, which we'll learn about more later. And the project was, well, it involved uh, a mentorship of audio storytelling with people from Megaphone magazine, and then publishing the episodes themselves. So um, just to kind of I think the best way to kind of understand what the project is is to just show you like a clip from it. So um, I'm just going to play. It's like a trailer we made. And it's just it'll Yvonne's voice is in it and um, and a few of the other participants. And it explains the podcast and then we'll then we'll get into it. Launching February 15th, a special podcast series titled Voices of the Street will be premiering on Below the Radar. This six-part series is curated and hosted by Megaphone Magazine Storytellers and features writers from their 2021 Voices of the Street anthology. Tune in to hear from these talented storytellers as the series moves through immersive soundscapes, poetics, and creative prose, alongside critical conversations about poverty, incarceration, indigeneity, and connections to home, land, and relations. Keep listening right now to hear clips from these upcoming episodes. How many times have I put pen to paper to make note of something only to come back to it later? 
How many times have I wanted to write something, but the words wouldn't come? Or my mind is blank and I really feel dumb. Then there are times that I can't write fast enough. My thoughts racing through my head, trying to organize my thoughts is tough. What does reconciliation, right? Can they really reconcile with us? Exactly. I mean, they exactly. weren't the truth part of it in the reconciliation process. They weren't they didn't mention anything about the mass graves yet. And they're like, now it's getting uncovered. And they're like, oh yeah, that. Right. Truth or nothing, but the truth needs to be told. Yeah. That's the first step to reconciliation. Like I said earlier, this is my first time ever podcasting with, so it's all new to me. I was very intrigued by your story when I read it. I was emotional. I was angry, I mixed emotions about the injustice of our, our people. I didn't do um, much time, but what the way I've been treated, I could relate to, you know, lock them up and throw away the key attitude that the judicial system has on uh, most of us, or a lot of us. Through all these years of wandering aimlessly, often not even caring if I catch, Whatever it is I so madly pursue, so blindly, stumbling clumsily and confidently across endlessly lonesome alley nights of rain and rage, desperate and disgraced, oblivious as to how obviously close I clamor to my own tragically predictable yet preventable demise. Alas, I can at last, in absolute honesty, accept that I choose to stay simply because I refuse to accept that staying and struggling and suffering and somehow, still standing in solidarity and sharing love is not, in fact, what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea what else to say. I know, me neither. I'm trying to use my radio voice here. <laughs> here we go. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Signing off. Thank you. But, uh... <laughs> That's, that's the sample of what we created, just so you get a tidbit of what the whole project was about and everything. So now I'm going to tell you just who we are so you get a sense. And then the format of this little presentation is I'm going to stop talking and we're going to hear all from these lovely folks. So um, just to quickly state, I'm Paige Smith. And like I said, I'm here at SFU with Van City Office of Community Engagement. Um, our team supports creative engagement, knowledge, democracy, and access to arts and culture through public programming, community partnerships, and community-engaged research. And as part of that, we produce a weekly podcast called Below the Radar, um, which supports those key tendons of knowledge democracy by amplifying the ideas and the voices that go unheard. So we do a lot of like interview-based podcasts. So I was really happy and proud to support this um, new model of collaboration for us. We've been partners with, uh, like supported and being community partners with Megaphone for like 10 years, like our office. But this was like a brand new way of collaborating with Megaphone. So it was really exciting for us at least. Um, so like I said, Yvonne Mark and Julia Aoki are here. So I'll just give you a quick intro to them. Um, Yvonne Mark is a poet, storyteller, and a Megaphone vendor who was originally born in Haida Gwaii. Her outspoken advocacy for residents of the downtown east side has had her involved in numerous community initiatives. She volunteers at the local Carnegie Community Center just down the road and is a member of the Megaphone Speakers Bureau, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about more. Um, and that 
that Bureau works to end stigma around substance use, and she's also participated in Megaphone's Community Journalism 101 writing workshop. So last summer, she was one of the participants that helped make these podcast episodes. So Yvonne has her own episode that she uh, curated and hosted, and like it was all what Yvonne wanted the episode to be. And she chose to have a conversation with one of the writers about anti-Indigenous discrimination and injustice within the Canadian court system. And then Julia is um, the is from Megaphone as well. She is an administrator, writer, researcher, educator, and advocate. And she currently works as the executive director for Megaphone magazine. Um, she's also served previously as the general manager and the programming director at the Powell Street Festival, the general manager of Vivo Media Arts Center, and has volunteered with advocacy groups and organizations such as the Downtown Eastside SRO Collaborative. Uh, her writing on cultural expressions and community formations that are overlooked and underserved by com uh, commercial and political mechanisms and practices uh, can be found in Topia, uh, Space and Culture, and a collection by Lexington Lexington Books. So yeah, okay. So now to get to the meat of the whole thing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I really am happy that Julia and Yvonne could join today. Um, and I thought it would be best if we could just talk about what Megaphone does. So Megaphone was the community partner and like the start of this whole project. So Julia, could you just tell us a little bit more about Megaphone and what the core mission is? Yes, absolutely. So it's probably mostly a Vancouver audience here, so some of you are probably familiar, but uh, Megaphone Magazine is a street paper that began in 2008. Um, we publish the magazine, of course, as well as a number of other publications. Um, so this is our current issue. I can just pass it around since it's a small group. Uh, we also do a literary edition, Voices of the Street. Uh, much of the writing comes through workshops that we run. Um, we do special workshops uh, out of 312 Maine, where we're located, as well as at um, on-site, uh, the Detox Center. Um, and then we produce Hope and Shadows, a calendar that comes out of a community photo contest as well. And a few years ago, we also started the Speakers Bureau, which, as you said, is a program um, to support people with lived experience, lived and living experience of substance use, to uh, deliver workshops largely to uh, service providers and policymakers in order to sort of better understand how uh, internalized stigma shows up. Um, and we're hoping in some way to address that within their institutions. So this is actually a, a model that is operates all over the world, various publications. Um, the best known is probably the big issue which can be found in the UK, Australia, I think there's uh, a number in, in Germany, which tends to be a little bit more commercial in its content. The way Megaphone has operated, we try to do uh, work within the magazine that is addressing topics that relate to the sort of structural causes of poverty and homelessness. I don't know if I actually said this, but so core of the program is us training people with lived experience poverty to, to sell the magazine. I may have said that. So, so the content also addresses that, um, but alongside that, which is uh, generally done by um, journalism students, young journalists, we also do publish content from the community. And recently, I'd say over the last maybe three years, what we've been thinking about is how we deepen the work that we do around storytelling with the community. Um, and that has largely happened through a mentorship model. 
So for example, uh, we did an illustration project. There's a publication that's being passed around. Yvonne was part of that. Um, we have a community journalism mentorship, which uh, it looks like it's now a permanent part of our programming. And that's, yeah, really exciting with Langara. Um, so every year we get to send two folks from the community uh, to do a foundations of journalism course and then, you know, mentor other storytellers to start doing work on assignment for the magazine and, you know, also pitch their, their stories. And then this podcasting project was also a recent mentorship that we've done. Yeah, it was the first time we'd done something like this, right? Yes, yeah. And I, I think like a really key part of Megaphone is that storytelling component. So it's like, it's it's a huge part, right? Storytelling, yes. Storytelling is 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 core to what we do. This this I I, I picked this up from somewhere. This is not. I think probably <laughs> the previous executive director said it, and I've just been repeating it. But I do think it was said in the last presentation that storytelling art art can sort of operate at uh, a different level on the body i think it can be tr truly transformative so yeah that once you start to understand uh, a person their experiences it really starts to strip away those kind of internalized prejudices so yeah and i think that's a great transition i wanted to ask yvonne about storytelling as well so i know we were talking about this earlier that you've done a lot of projects with megaphone so I thought it was important to ask, like, why do you think storytelling is so important? Well, I, I definitely feel that our stories need need to be told to to understand where we're we're coming from. Whether for myself, I'm I'm a recovering addict, and I abandoned my children um, due to drug addiction. Uh, I was um, my son Wayne died in 1988, and you know, people say they look at you, or you're just a screwed up mother, and you, how could you do that to your kids? But they don't know my story. Right. They don't know my story. And and I'm not trying to give myself um, a pat on the back or anything, but I just thank God I lived to tell. I lived to tell my story, and, and I so needed to do it. And um, I had seven children, and, you know, it kind of want that for my kids to understand where also where I'm coming right. from. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think storytelling, listening to other people too, uh, to listen and share. I go Actually, I go to AA and, and we share our experience, strength, and hope. And there's times I'm always thinking, oh, that person that said, talked about this, you know, God, I, you know, it's... I, w I wish I could mem memorize it word for word. Mm. So when you share your your experience, it's that somebody talked about shame earlier. That's what I I lived. I I was so full of shame that that right. it almost killed me. So to be blunt. So the storytelling yes, allows it, to right. very healing to me. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yes. Did you want to share? Your poem? Yeah, did you still want to do no, that? No pressure <laughs> at all. But. Okay, I'll, I, to be honest, I was part of this group, and, and I told them, I said, I'm so much better um, aud auditing, like, is that what it's, it's um, visual. 
Ah. So here's, um, so we did this, we, where there was an artist that came in, and so what I, when I read my poem, usually people are looking at the book magazine I was part of, and mm. I was so proud, I, I mean, it was one poem, and here I am, you know, I've been writing forever, and it was AA that gave me the courage to, to read my poems, and they, I was just, I was in a meeting down in Port Moody where I was part of the home group then and scribbling a poem as usual and this guy came up and asked me, well, what are you doing, Yvonne? And, oh, just writing. <laughs> and he, what are you writing? Just poetry. And he got me to read, read it. I, I, he wanted to read it. I said, no, but I'll read it to you. Mm. And then he was crying. He was, he had tears in his eyes. And, he please, will you read it at the meeting? I said, no, no way, man. <laughs> and he goes, please, Yvonne, it'll help a lot of people. No, I didn't, I was so scared, I could feel my legs turn to rubber going up to the podium. And I could see people out there crying. And I've always been a writer, ever since I can remember, since I, I can remember. And I'm a self-taught writer, too, so... So um, is, I'm going to st uh, stand up. Um, no, I can read. I mean, I memorized. <laughs> it's called A uh, Letter to Myself. And this is me in the, in the alley of where I used to use. I, my living room was behind the Regent Hotel. I was, I was um, anyways, I'll just read my poem. It's called A Letter to Myself. It was, I used to roam the alleys with only one thing on my mind. To stay in oblivion as the world was far from kind. I rarely passed a mirror to really see myself as the reflection was too ugly and self-loathing topped the shelf. If I had a place to live, it was empty and so bleak. And where my heart really was seemed too vast to seek. I longed for my children and hated the bitch that I became. Sorry. Okay, sorry. Lord, help me. Help me, please. I suffer so much shame. Shame kept me in the midst of a road that led to hell. But today it's all so different, and I have a miracle inside this shell. The shell that I once wore with an armor extra thick, but slowly unraveling, although we want it quick. The quick fix doesn't work, and patience is a must. Let go and let God surrender and try to trust. Trust in yourself as you're a new creation today, and be diligent with your gratitude, and don't forget to pray. All my relations. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know why I always cry. But. Thank you. Thank you so much for reading that. Yeah, um, yeah and, and um, this was a quote that you, uh, we actually got interviewed by the CBC to talk about this, and, and Yvonne talked to them, and, and this was one of the quotes you said, Yvonne, and it's just so, um, it's only part of the quote, but you said, if one person can learn from this story, I'll tell it a million times. And like, that's the work you're doing, Yvonne. It's really beautiful work. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, um, I wanted to ask Julia a little bit more if you could talk about the podcast project and if 
yeah, sorry. If, if you could just talk about where the idea originally came from, like what inspired, like, you know, you do all this storytelling and it, the print and all this other work. Where, where, where did audio come in? Why did podcasts make sense? I, I think it came from moments like that where you're working with storytellers, these incredible, beautiful storytellers, and you get to hear them read their work in person, sometimes in the hub, um, uh, just down the road. Folks will come in, hand over a poem, read it out loud. We get to hear that. We also uh, do this Voices of the Street publication um, and passing around the latest edition, and we actually have an event coming up. This is the first time we're doing it this year since uh, COVID, but... Yeah, every year we would hold this event and it's quite well attended. And, and clearly there's, um, you know, an interest in, in hearing people tell their stories. And again, I think it's just the way that it operates on the listener in a different way um, to hear all of the textures of vocalization is quite different to hear the emotion. And and also just to like, I mean, the poetry is partly the rhythm, right? Like the way that you just read that was so stunning. Um, so all of that can be conveyed in an audio format. And and then of course there's all the practical matters of putting something together like this. So we received funding from um, arts funders. I think it was actually serendipitous. I can't really remember, but maybe I even got an email from you, Paige, just asking about a partnership, like how can we, or am, can we partner in a different way or something? Something happened and it was like, oh, well, we've been thinking about this project and it just worked out perfectly because we do not in any way have the um, skills, the technical know-how, the capacity to do any of this. It was just this idea, we're going to do a podcast. That must be possible, right? right? Like, we must be able <laughs> right. to pull that off. Um, and it, so you approached us. We got the money. We partnered with um, Helena Crowbath, um, who I worked with previously at Vivo Mar Media Arts Centre. Um, she's done uh, podcasting mentorships in the past. And she put together this the initial mentorship where it was designed through a number of workshops. She would bring in different um, uh, artists, uh, podcasters to teach on vocalization, storytelling, editing, um, script writing, and all the while supporting the individual storytellers to develop their podcast. And then thankfully with the partnership at SFU, it was like once that was done, it was sort of handing over the material um, still, of course, with this kind of like feedback loop of going back to the storytellers because there's that there's something that happens in the work of editing. A lot of the storytelling comes through editing to get their feedback on the podcasts as well. One thing, one tidbit I love. So um, we really wanted the podcast to be uh, created by the people making the so Yvonne's episode is Yvonne's episode. You're not you're not just the voice. It's your idea and everything. So. You were saying earlier you feel very uncomfortable with computers. So Helena did this wonderful thing where we'd take the transcript of the conversation Yvonne had with her guest, and then they took a marker and they were like scratching. No, not that part. No, no. And then like high, and then cutting the paper and moving it. So like you know the, the even the editing you were still there. We were just executing it. You know that was the idea at least. But yeah, I think maybe others. I thought this might be a question people would be interested in because a lot of us are, you know, not, not everyone at the conference, but a lot of us are coming, uh, are, are working with or in universities. So I thought it would be interesting, Julia, if you could just talk about what, what is it like working in partnership with a university? Uh, and I'm sure it can be really annoying with all the 
bureaucracy in some ways. So like, I just wondered like, what makes it a community university partnership work? And then if there's things that hold it back at the same time. Yeah, definitely. There, there. It's a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge that we know ourselves as well because we're a nonprofit. We're a charity. We have all of these um, external pressures on how we operate. That ultimately, um, I think the other presenters will know as well. Like those institutional practices are so ingrained and often are at odds with the work that we're trying to do. So. That that's a huge challenge. Um, an institution like SFU is is a big institution with very fixed practices, and that can be that can be quite hard. Uh, I'll say, like, just in general, yeah, we've been approached by a number of institutions. It happens all the time, um, and one of the biggest challenges is really understanding how much we need to slow down the work. Um, that we can't be focused on hitting grant report deadlines or whatever. The funders need to be really fe- flexible and understand also that uh, the process, I think, really takes priority over the output, right? Like really focusing on supportive processes. We had uh, one partnership recently where, you know, I really tried to um, emphasize that, how, like, you know, we need to, folks that we work with, um, you know, they're going through a lot in their day-to-day, right? And it's it seems like this is such a wonderful opportunity, like, you know, of course everything is going to work out, but like there's stuff, real life happening every single day. And it means that, you know, sometimes a person can't show up, right? Um, it means that we might need to delay the work um, slightly. It might mean that, you know, the way they felt when they first started the project shifts in the process. And it's very easy conceptually to understand that at the outset, but as it's happening, sometimes you're like re-educating your, your partners. And, and I'm not just saying this because you're in the room, but, but it's been a really (laughs) wonderful, long partnership with SFU, um, where I think that's understood. I think it's implicitly understood that there's, um, institutional limitations at SFU, you know, we want to pay as often as possible in cash and we need to pay upfront. And I, there's just sort of an understanding, I think, um, around some of those administrative things. Yeah. And I just, I'm aware of time. So I want to ask Yvonne another question. Um, Yvonne, in your episode, you spoke with Dennis Gates, um, who was an author with Megaphone as well. And you both talked about anti-Indigenous discrimination and injustice within the court systems. So I wanted to ask, why did you choose to chat with Dennis in, in the first place? And, and why was that topic important? Like, why did you think that was the episode you wanted to make? Well, like I said earlier, I, I didn't really do time. I was, uh, you know, I didn't really know much about, from experience anyway, in jails. But I could see, I know what happens with our people. I know what happens. I see it, and it, it, it really pisses me off. It's just, I look at it, and I just think, how? You know, um, for what Dennis got, he got 10 years when the, the uh, white guy with a bigger, longer record than him got two years less a day. And then he was screwed around to... to promised all this stuff about a halfway house, all these promises. He said it was worse going to the halfway house and 
it was in jail and I see it all the time and it's not just the jail for you know for crimes it's for the kids in care too that's mainly what the kids in care there's we're, we're screwed blued and tattooed where you know we got a status number then that's all they want they don't give it a damn they don't I work fisheries I, I worked you know um when my oh this is off topic about my kids but I worked so regardless no matter what and um, we get the short end of the stick, and uh, we're court-appointed lawyers, and we're treated like we're dumb all the time. It's you know, like you know, oh, you you, you sign this, and you'll get you'll you'll yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think it's if you get a chance, I really suggest you listen to the episode. Um, yeah. I should have put a thing on where you find yeah. them, but I'll tell you at the end. But it, you're an amazing interviewer and listener as well. Like you and Dennis have a really um, touching conversation. Um, yeah, I think we're almost out of time, yeah. right? Should, can I have one more question or should we have audience questions? What do you? It's up to you. We have five minutes. So. What do you folks prefer? Do you want a question from me or from the audience? <laughs> Does anyone have a pressing question? Why podcast and not video? Just personally, like I'm a regular listener, so you know, but I know a lot of my students talk about video. So why podcasts and not video? Or is there a difference? I was just, part of it is just that I think podcasting takes a little bit uh, less capacity than video. Like uh, I, I was a film student and it just takes, it takes, you just need more, you more, need more resources, more people to do it well. It, podcasting, you can, you can do it well with uh, less money, less people, I think is part of it. That's a big part of it. There's also just the, again, entering into something that we haven't done before and learning the layers of consent around different storytelling forms. Um, yeah, video would be a, a more complicated thing, I think. I did want to say something that um, megaphone. If it wasn't for megaphone, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be here writing. Period. It, it gave me the the um, self self esteem, the the courage to come in and write. And I, all I did was go in and to to write. I, I thought I'll get to know my neighbors and. Next thing you know, I'm invited to this and I'm invited to that, and I thought I'm I, I'm so um um a very low self-esteem. So you know, because I was been rejected all my life. I'm almost 67, and I've never. It was I was 65 when I got my own website. I I'm computer illiterate. I just went out and got it, and I just got someone to help me and and to to continue on, you know and. I really feel that to just even have a voice in, in what we want to put out there, you know, as a writer, as a storyteller, you know. And, you know, um, my daughter, uh, Melanie Marks, my daughter, and, and I, I look at that alone, you know, seven of my children, one, one died, they all, they're all separated in foster care and everything, and, and we've got... A story to tell now. It's and and I'm clean and sober. And to ha if one person can get clean and sober from that, that's all. That's the way I see it, you know. Because that that was me out there on the streets. That people out there. No, that was me 16 years ago. Yeah, yeah and then um, I think we're gonna yeah. have to wrap up. But just oh yeah, please taking into consideration the technical challenges and that sort of thing, and particularly the environment such as we are right now with the pandemic and limits on gathering, how did you overcome those challenges? 
of having to have people in the same room together to do the work. We actually delayed the project. Um, I can't remember for how long, but for quite a while. Um, and we did have a number of contingency plans. So yeah, I'm, I, anyone who's operating a nonprofit will understand all the layer, the contingency plans you had to have for the last couple of years. And, and yeah, it was, it was a lot of work for sure. But I think we did manage to do it in a fairly like it, we, so the, the, um, provincial health orders were the bare minimum always. It was sort of what is the comfort level of the entire group and 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 it was a small group too. It was um just for yeah basically yeah and it was summer last year so it was a time when things were a little less bad because it was summer. I think was part of it too. But it, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you all for listening and um and thank you for speaking with us and and yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I, I just wanted to say one more and Yvonne um is selling megaphone too. So if you oh. if you wanna know now that you know what megaphone is, <laughs> the, Yvonne you know has copies. The one I was published in. Yeah, just, just only oh. in. <laughs> Thank, you very much. Being honest. Thank you. <laughs> I'm joking. You're doing great. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Below the Radar is a Knowledge Democracy podcast created by SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement. Thanks for listening to this special episode documenting the conference presentation from SFU's Community Engaged Research Initiatives, Horizons. To learn more about Megaphone Magazine and the Voices of the Street series, head to the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Below the Radar.